Welcome to the Best Boss Ever podcast. I'm your host, Christine LaPerriere, president of Leader in Motion. On this show, we're going to gossip about the best boss you ever had. We're going to hear stories about things that they did that helped you feel valued, helped you feel engaged, and really inspired you. We want to hear about the bosses that changed the way you look at everything. If you want to hear more, join me at christinelaperriere.com and sign up for our newsletter, The Whip. Welcome back to the Best Boss Ever podcast. I'm your host, Christine LaPerriere, and today I have B. Lazinski with me from Magna. I always invite guests that I either really admire their leadership or I look up to them or I've had some really great interaction with them. And I've had the opportunity to work with B on an event at Magna, and I just really admired her leadership. I could see her style was very magnetizing. So I'm thrilled that you joined me, B, and I will hand it over to you to do a quick introduction. Thank you, Christine. Hi, everybody. My name is B. Lazinski. I'm Vice President of Talent and Total Rewards at Magna. I've been here five years, but prior to Magna, I actually came from the mining industry. I was in the mining industry for 15 years. And prior to that, I spent a tour in the software industry. So I'm very fortunate over the course of my career that I've had some wonderful leaders that I've worked for and worked with that have made a significant impression on me and my career. That's amazing. It's so fun to have you here. So I'm going to dive into our famous question. When you look back, I mean, you've covered now automotive mining software. That's a pretty big reach. When you think back to the leaders that you'd call maybe your best bosses ever, just tell us a bit about who they are and why you would call them that. You know, I, I, like I said, I've been fortunate. So it kind of, you have this flash of all these different faces coming up, but it may be the best way for me to start is when I think of the people that I've had exposure to or worked for, that there was things specifically that really stood out for me about them. And I think impressed me and engaged me. First and foremost, I think they were very good at engaging their employees and galvanizing them to drive business strategies, to create a work environment that you know would attract and retain the best people possible. I think the second thing is they were very good at driving results. And I think that was very influential for me because I remember, you know, as I started out my career, I was probably a little less focused and more exploratory than I am these days. So it was great to watch people in action and how they actually drove results for a company. The third thing I would say is they were really good at making decisions in a timely manner. You know, I think one of the things people find really frustrating with leaders is that there's too much, you know, oh, we got to, and which is frustrating because you've got a bunch of people sitting there waiting to figure out what are we supposed to do? You know, how do we make the business better? So that's probably the third area. And then I think most importantly, and, and this is probably still rings true today, is the ones who really focus on innovation and stretching the way you think and the way you look at the world. And so when you ask me, well, you know, does anyone stand out for you? Yeah, there's one person that stands out for me. I think he stands out for all the people that work for him because we're all still, you know, fairly tight knit community. But I worked back in the 90s, I worked for a small software startup. It was a Dutch-based company and was owned by two brothers. And he was such an, the CEO, his name's Jan Bon. He was such an inspiring individual. I mean, this was a gentleman who worked for years in the construction industry. And when his company went south, all he had left, he told us, was his mainframes. So he decided to take advantage of keeping them and do something, you know, with software. 
And it's interesting when he used to like storytell because it was amazing how he would sort of capture our imaginations and, and just, you know, engage us in his journey and, and was very, you know, I think focused on helping us figure out our journeys because of what he had been through. So, I mean, that's, that's a tall order for someone who's trying to run a company, build a startup, ramp us up really quickly, but he did, he did an outstanding job. I think the other thing, when I think about him that stands out and I still keep in touch with him to this day, when I see him post things on LinkedIn, one of the most authentic people I have ever met, you know, he, he was very driven to be successful, but not at the expense of others. I think he was one of these people that wanted to, you know, capture uh, the hearts and minds of his employees and bring them along on the journey. And I mean, you know, he always drove, you know, this motto that, you know, his success is our success, not just his, which I think everyone appreciated. But one of the other things that I think everybody loved about him are the culture we had in that organization. I can honestly say I've never experienced since then. And we had a motto or there's sort of the three values that drove everything that we did in that organization. First one being taking initiative. Second was operating with integrity. And the third was innovation, which was the three like innovate, innovate, innovate. And I remember one time being in his office, you know, fairly, I think I was only there a couple of years and we were sort of growing the market in North America. And I, I remember he called me and he said, you know, you're doing a good job. We've got like really good feedback on the projects that you've been working on because I was the project manager at the time. So I said, well, I'm really glad. And I was so eager because, you know, my mind was like, well, you know, I know this business is coming up. I wouldn't mind being the project manager on that. And here's what I think I'd like to do. And, you know, he was like, okay, B, you got to slow down. He said, I want you to do a great job. He goes, but that's not the reason that I wanted to talk to you. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, what did you want to talk to me about? So he asked me, he goes, what do you think is your biggest value to our organization? And I was thinking in terms of, oh, it's my technical knowledge. It's my ability to deliver projects. And he said to me, no, he goes, your biggest value to the company is your ability to dream and innovate. He goes, because you're seeing things out there. He goes, that we who are in offices are never going to be able to see. He goes, so I want to absorb as much as I can from you, you know, and understand sort of what you're seeing and what your perspective is, because that'll help us with, you know, future plans for software. And, and I was actually so surprised because I thought, geez, you know, I didn't even think you cared about what I thought. I, I was more like, I just thought you cared about my delivering projects and making sure that I did them within scope, schedule and budget. But uh, he he was very, very unique that way. And I mean, you know, they, the other thing, talk about developing people. When I worked for that organization, I worked on some of the largest client base that they had, which I think for, for him was somewhat taking a bit of a risk, you know, because it wasn't like I was a, an expert in, in the software industry, but I had good common sense and I had some pretty good business skills because of the jobs I'd done prior to getting into this industry. But you know, he was so focused on making sure we were getting, you know, development opportunities and moving through the ranks. And at one point, he actually appointed a female CEO, which was a big turning point for the company. But, you know, when I look back, I started with that organization. I was employee number six, you know, by the time. Wow. Yeah. And it was three under three million in revenue. And by the time I left, it was, you know, I was there like eight years I probably would have stayed there the rest of my life if things hadn't changed for the company but you know it was like 
what, eight years, almost a billion dollars in revenue, which was quite a bit wow. back in that. Yeah. For, the, wow. for how fast it happened. It's a big and, company. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And you know what the thing is, we IPO'd the company in what, three years. I mean, just having all those experiences, like, you know, at that stage of my career and in such a short time, you, you normally don't get that type of exposure or someone, you know, who's going to sort of take an interest in his employees. And, and it's true. When the company's small, you get to do that. As a company gets larger, it's a little bit more difficult. But I think the thing that's important is, you know, you have to stay focused on, you know, developing your people, engaging your people. And, and, and I would say, you know, foremost, making sure that you have a culture that, you know, retains them and they want to be a part of. I love this example, though. I mean, I'm thinking about the CEO that you worked for and you were talking about, you know, innovation. Tell me, what does it look like when you work for a company that, I mean, I hear, I, I, first of all, I absolutely loved the conversation that he had with you about what's your real value. Mm-hmm. Like what a, what a mind shift right there. Right. Yeah. For you personally thinking, what is my value here? Right. But then also like, tell me more, like, what does it look like when you're working for a company that is able to really harness innovation as a cultural priority? Yeah. Well, I I think back then I would have said one of the things that was very interesting to me about how they went about doing this. I mean, we had hierarchies in terms of operating, you know, how we ran the business, but when it came to solving problems or thinking about the next wave of what we were going to put in our software, the organization was extremely flat, like and very networked. So, you know, and and we got so good at self-organizing, which is fascinating that this was in the nineties. Yeah, because you just worked with people that loved working together. And so, you know, if there was an issue about, well, we're thinking about doing this for this industry, because we started to split our software into industry solutions. I mean, everyone knew, okay, go talk to, you know, this person about product design, go talk about this, go get this person, he'll get you, you know, sort of product marketing intel to do this. Talk to these people about who've done the implementation work and have seen, you know, the pain out there bring this team all together. And so we'd have like these, you know, visioning sessions where you'd come in and it's, and, you know, here's the business issue that we're trying to resolve. You know, these are some of the key challenges. What do we need to do together, you know, to figure out how we're going to solve this. So it wasn't just, you know, software developers and product people. It was like an array of people from, you know, like a good cross section of the organization. And, you know, I mean, although I think we had like a methodology for how we would do this, the innovation was in the fact that, you know, when people shared ideas, there was no judgment, no criticism, like nothing was, you know, taboo. Yeah, everybody really appreciated everybody's input. And I think even when the when the ideas were far out, you know, rather than someone telling you that's stupid and making you feel bad, we all kind of, you know, poke fun at ourselves and people would laugh. It would be like, yeah, I guess that is kind of, you know, probably not going to work. Okay, move on. Let's go, you know. And the thing that was interesting was that when we got to the end of making a decision or a recommendation about something, you know, everyone stacked hands on the document and it would be, okay, if it fails, we're all taking accountability. If it, you know, winds up uh, landing well and, and we're going to proceed, then it's shared, you know, recognition and reward, which I think is, you know, part of the, I would say the roots of what made that company so great. You know, people just knew how to work together and, and how to kind of push forward. But I mean, I don't, I can't remember in my work history that I ever had fun to the degree that I did when I was working there. 
Amazing. And what I'm hearing too, it's just interesting when you're talking about the organization being flat, I just hear kind of the evaporation of silos, Oh yeah, like, which is really actually one of the biggest challenges in the world of innovation is like, we throw things back and forth over the wall, which really isn't innovation. No, no, that's more, I, I would say that sounds a little bit more like strategic execution sometimes, you know, cause you're kind right. of passing the baton. In this case, it's almost like baking a cake where everyone's throwing in the ingredients and stirring the batter together. Yeah, it makes a big difference. But you know, the funny part is when I think back, I mean, I worked with a team probably of in North America. I would say my inner team was probably, my network was probably a couple of hundred people that I used to interface with regularly. And I haven't worked for that company in over 20 years. I would say our network and our and our sort of appreciation for each other is as strong today as it was back then when we were working together. We all keep in touch. They're a group of people that I can honestly say if I have a business issue or a challenge that I haven't, you know, had before, because I know what many of them are doing. I can easily pick up the phone and say, Hey, I have a problem. Can you help me out with this? And everybody does. And I don't know too many companies that leave that kind of a mark, you know, on you professionally as well as personally. Right. I think that's pretty special actually to, yeah. to say, you know, th- this is like a, a family that you still keep in touch with. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's a family, it's part of your network. I think you know, it's interesting because a lot of the people I've worked with have, have since retired and some are doing, you know, freelance work, but you know, it's interesting when we get together, when we start talking about sort of some of the challenges that we deal with professionally now, like we automatically st- We'll go into brainstorming mode in terms of, you know, well, how would you handle that? Oh, geez, have you seen that before? Like, what do you think? You know, and it's just a really nice network of people to have in your environment professionally. So how did the organization get that? You know, how did you guys learn that? Like, was that happening between those two brothers that were at the top of the organization? Who led that? Well, I because you were young, right? How did you know to do that? Yeah, well, yeah. I was. Yeah, I mean, based on where <laughs> I am today, yes, I was young. <laughs> it's okay. It's, it's twenty okay. years ago. Uh, for those of you that can't see, twenty us, years younger <laughs> than you are today. Kind of, yes, exactly. Of course. No, it was. I think they led by example. I think they demonstrated the behaviors in, and I would say in the early days, they were very much engaged with, you know, showing us and talking to us about how they wanted the company to operate. They had a very low tolerance policy for, I'll call it, you know, bad behavior or people that didn't align with the values of the company. I mean, usually in a company like that, you wouldn't have lasted long. You probably would have self-selected before they would fire you. They were never that kind of company, but yeah, they, they did a really good job. I can remember, you know, we, we'd have team meetings and he did this too at a lot of the industry presentations he used to do. You could tell his passion by the way he talked. So, I mean, you know, that engaged you to begin with, but I can remember where he'd be showing, you know, different parts of the software on the screen and he would take this pen and start writing on the software. And I'm like going, geez, I'm pretty good with technology. So are half of us. And we're all kind of leaning over, you know, this row of chairs we're sitting in, watching him in action and going, oh my God, like, look, like, you know, he's talking, he's writing, he's like so passionate about what he's doing. But that that was what he brought to the table and, and I think taught us all how to do. It's like, where's your passion? You know, let's talk about where we want to be taking this product gave all of us a voice. Never once did I ever hear him say, 
oh, that's stupid or that's a bad idea. Nothing, like none of that, you know? It was just really inspiring and empowering, I think are the two words I would probably use. Nice. So I, I always love to ask, what's the business impact of having a best boss? Because obviously in my world, I'm always being challenged with, if I spend money on my leaders, what's the return on investment? So mm-hmm. I'm curious, could, I mean, I, I heard that they grew phenomenally in that eight years. Yeah. I would say the big one is you will find people will galvanize and really push themselves to do their best for the organization. Cause they know if they do their best for the organization, that's probably going to mean good things for them. You know, whether it's, you know, compensatory, whether it's, you know, professionally, um, moving your career through the ranks. Like I started, as I said, when I started with them, I was doing training and project management. You know, I wound up being the VP of consulting by the time I was finished my tour there. You know, they moved, I spent time in Europe. I lived in the Netherlands for a couple of years. Like it, it was just a, a phenomenal experience. So I would say, you know, it, when you talk about the return, probably three things, you know, from results and performance, our revenue, we, we had exponential growth very, very quickly, you know, which allowed us to IPO in three years, which is fairly fast for an IPO. The second thing I would say is our turnover was very low and we had a very strong employer brand. And, you know, at that, back in that day, we were sort of one, one, it was like, you know, SAP, Oracle, and Bond were the three sort of big enterprise players. And we never had problems attracting people. We never had, we had very low turnover for the most part, but we always had good leaders. Like, I mean, I even found, you know, when Jan sort of stepped aside and wasn't the CEO, he brought on in this woman, Amal Johnson, similar characteristics, very well accomplished, extremely good leadership skills. Like she, she was pretty amazing. I mean, you can imagine like back then, you know, nobody talked about, you know, diversity inclusion. It would have been to the yeah, early to the yeah, table. Would have been exactly. Yeah. Uh, to bring a, a woman CEO in, but she was so well liked and respected. Everybody just thought the world of her and, and you know, everybody gave it, you know, their best and, and it showed. So I think that was the second thing that I would say. And then I would say generally the leadership brand of that company like permeated down, you know, so Everybody knew this is what was expected. And I I can remember, you know, when I went to Europe, they actually asked me to be part of starting up a business IT school because back then, you know, software was taking off, but the the availability of of people to actually, you know, consult and and support this stuff was quite low. So we opened up this sort of academy in Europe and this beautiful like castle or chateau thing in, in the Netherlands. It was great. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was really quite interesting. And so we'd bring people over for a 10 week accelerator program so that they could go out where they learned the product, also learned some really good consulting skills and then go back out, whether it was, you know, our company or a partner of our company and go and do the consulting. And I remember when I was actually facilitating some of the stuff and I kind of did the overall coordination for selecting the people to come in and I used to facilitate that. And every time people left the program, you know, the one impression that was always made upon them was just how fantastic all the leaders were, you know, that they actually cared about their progress, that they actually cared about, you know, where they were going to work and, and, and help facilitate, you know, a smooth transition and that they were great, like, teachers. But, you know, we were, we, you know, back in those days, like, you know, you do your job during the day and when you had a program like this, you'd spend as much time as you could outside of work socializing with these people, 
to kind of get to know who they are, get to know, you know, their backgrounds and their stories, because in that organization, you know, it was felt as being a beneficial thing for helping them figure out, you know, sort of their path through the company. Those are, you know, some of the things that I would say for me from a bot and, you know, there's like quantitative and qualitative, but at the end of the day, you know, the numbers will only happen if the other things you know, are there as a foundation to make the company successful. Actually, I, I don't think that's changed overall the different jobs that I've had. Yeah, that's consistent across the board. Yeah, it is. It is. And, and, and you see it in a lot of companies. I mean, I've worked for some companies where, you know, uh, we had great leadership and then there was a change at the top because the board decided that's what they wanted. And the pendulum shift was, I think, more than the company could handle. And so you'd start to see you know, people turning over like self-select leaving. And then you start to see, you know, the, the, the trickle down effect of that, you know? And so I think for most leaders, you know, coming into those types of senior roles now, you know, you need to be, I mean, you have to sort of change your leadership style far more than, you know, you had to in the past, I'd say. And, right. And I don't right. know, I'm, I'm not always sure that I think people understand that. Yeah, no, it's a big, there's a, it's a moving target right now. We have a lot of these generations have very different upbringings and expectations. And, you know, again, it's a massive time of change, right? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, I mean, when I look at sort of some of the challenges I'm dealing with now, because, you know, I've had, honestly, I've had quite a few people exit the organization, you know, they're looking for something different, you know, and, and I think, you know, given the fact that everyone's working remote now. And I mean, there's some for automotive, there's some big challenges in terms of, you know, right. competing with some of these other companies. But, you know, when you kind of listen to what people say at the end of the day, you know, whether it's this industry or any other industry, because I read the research, I'm sure like you do and many others do, you know, I think we're coming back to this world where, you know, employees really want to align with the values of the company work for a culture that appreciates them and makes them feel like they're valued, you know, not just a means to an end. I think, you know, they want to have a voice and know that their voice is being heard and that they have input in terms of whatever their span of control is. This is not a generation that's like, you know, tell me what the task is and I'll get it done. Uh, this is right. A, this is a generation who really wants to understand why am I doing this? What value does it add? And then I'll tell you whether I want to do it or not. You know, yes. so it's it's yeah. been an interesting shift from that perspective, but uh, yeah, these these things are, are are I think a big challenge for leaders nowadays. Last question for you, maybe second to last. We'll see how we do on time. But when you think of things, not maybe your worst boss ever, but what you would say is a criteria or something that you could see just repelled people and really didn't work, right? Like in your career, I mean, you've been obviously into so many different industries. If you had to nail down one or two things that you know are probably the worst worst boss ever traits, what would you say? I haven't had too many. I, I've had a couple that probably stand out for me. One earlier in my career and one later on, let's say, I wouldn't say quite midpoint, but you know, a little bit later on. And I think the two things that they had in common that for me, just, I would say disappointing and and to some degree, you know, even devastating, especially when you're younger in your career. But I would say those that sort of had their own agenda, I think in some cases, the ones that are like, you know, demoralizing and, and, and treat people in a way that's inappropriate. I mean, I've always believed, you know, if you want 
people to treat you well, how you treat them is going to be a reflection of what, you know, what they're going to do for you and how they're going to treat you. And I think in both the instances that I mentioned, I would say these two individuals didn't really care what their employees thought of them, didn't really care how they felt. It was more about like getting the job done and, you know, how do I maneuver my way through this organization? You know, what do I need to get accomplished in order and, and, and in, in order to move ahead? And I would say they had their own interests ahead of the people that work for them, which I don't think you can do and be successful. So, uh, yeah, those are probably qualities that I would say, you know, I would I would stay away from. After you left that company, what happened? So, you know, it was it was really tough because, you know, I spent eight, nine years working for, you know, a set of leaders that operated in a certain way. And then I came out and the next job I took, you know, I had a bar an expectation of the leaders that was so high based on what I experienced. And the most of the people that were leading the bar, their bar was much lower. And for me, that was um, such a shock and such an adjustment because it was like, okay, I either have to meet them halfway. And can I, can I deal with that? Like, can I not get frustrated? Can I learn to accept those leaders for who they are? And I think I tried, but, you know, I was always one of these people, you know, that pushed, it's like, if you want 150% from me, then I should at least be able to expect 100 or 110% from you. Um, And I think for some, it was a really, a real stretch. And because I'm pretty tenacious, I think some people used to get really frustrated, you know? And others were like, yeah, you know, I didn't like when you were like that, but you know, it actually wasn't a bad thing for me. So, you know, it's tough. Like when you, when you start to realize those things, cause it's then, you know, how do you pivot and you don't want to be just hopping from job to job because that's not going to be good for you professionally long-term, but yeah, it was, it was a, it was a challenge. I will say. I think having a high bar in leadership is, it's a good thing, but it sounds like it also poses a bit of a problem at times. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I, I think over time I started to learn to lower my bar. And I think what most of us figured out was that we probably won't experience something like that again. You know, but the good thing was we all had each other to sort of pick up the phone and say, okay, how do you handle this? You know, cause some of the people that I knew and worked with, I would say they were probably back then a little more politically savvier. Mm-hmm. Than I was. So um, it was good to have them as mentors, you know, to lean on to help me sort of weather that. But and and look, you know, right. I think when you start your career and you're growing your career, would I say I was the world's best leader all the like, yeah, you know, it, it it's people do experience that stuff and, and it's very real and it definitely impacts their ability to perform. Dust yourself off and get back on the horse. But I think, you know, when I look at the people I've been I've influenced most heavily and how successful they've become. I'm like, okay, I must've got it right somewhere along the way. Because normally when I, when people ask me to describe myself when I'm interviewing them, I I tell them all the time. Yeah. I think if you talk to most people that work for me, they tell you I'm tough, but I'm fair. And that I do care about people in general, but you know, I, I think I sort of followed that approach because what I started to realize was most of the people that worked for me as years passed, they actually were really successful. Some even exceeded, you know, my level of success, which I'm really proud of because I'm happy for them. You know, and to me, that's a mark of, you know, how well did I do? When you talk about metrics, you know, how do you metric your own leadership like results? 
And so it's not just what you do for the companies that you work for, but it's those people that work for you and, and, and really, you know, gave it their all. Did, did, did they get the right return? And I would like to think in most cases, the people that work for me that I invested in and they invested in me, yeah, they've done, they've done really well. So it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And that is, that's a great metric of, you know, the impact that you're making, you know, above and beyond the results, right. To me, that's, and, and even if you get out of bed one day and you have to reflect on your career and like, you know, did you matter? I feel like you mattered to all those people. Yeah. 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 I agree. And I think, you know, if you're not thinking like that, then I would say, I don't know, maybe you'll miss out something in life, you know, that, that will be filling for you. Cause I know when I decide, you know, I'm done professionally, I'm not going to look at all the numbers and the things that I did and how many projects I got successful and, you know, how much service revenue did I generate or, you know, how much trading dollars did I save a company or any of that? I mean, that's all great stuff, but it's, it's a snapshot in time. The thing that endures and that's over the whole course of your career is, you know, the people that you impacted, did you leave a leg, a leadership legacy to be proud of? Do people, have they, have their lives been better or enriched or have their careers been better enriched by working for you or having a relationship with you? That, that to me is, I think, more important than the other stuff. Oh, I think that is a perfect close. So I'm going to just say, thank you so much. That was a fantastic interview. I'm very sure you've made that impact. I can tell, (laughs) but just seeing people around you. So like I said, this was fantastic. And we're so glad that you came out and shared your story today. Thanks very much for having me, Christine. I appreciate it. If you want to hear more, join me at christinelaperriere.com and sign up for our newsletter, The Whip.